another episode of Real Atheology. My name is Justin Schieber, and uh, Ben could not join us today. He's uh, got some technical difficulties with his computer, but we've got the next best thing. Uh, a friend of mine by the name of Josh Farik. Josh, tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm a um, student studying philosophy, politics, and economics at Oxford University. Um, I'm a Christian. I've kind of had an interest in apologetics and philosophy of religion for quite a long time. So probably, so seriously for the last three years, kind of beyond that, probably kind of seven or eight, but the kind of the last three more seriously. So yeah. So today I thought it would be kind of cool to have you on because you're one of the few people that I know that uh, that take philosophy seriously, but that also reject one of the key premises in uh, Schellenberg's argument from divine hiddenness. So uh, listeners uh, are probably going to be familiar with at least the, the general contours of Schellenberg's argument from divine hiddenness, but one of the uh, essential premises to that argument is that there do exist non-resistant non-believers, or that there have existed at some point in time. Um, and Josh here actually rejects that premise. And when I found that out, I was kind of flabbergasted. Uh, and so I'm, I'm genuinely curious to have a bit of a conversation on this uh, mm-hmm. to see what perhaps some of the reasons that you have for, for accepting that. Um, and perhaps maybe you're aware of some of the literature that I'm not aware of. Sure. So. sure. And that's cool. No, that's um. This this should be fun, and this is very impromptu. I should also say, but yes. this should be fun anyway. Um, but yeah, I think so. For listeners who aren't aware, that kind of what Schellenberg's argument, the kind of key idea that Schellenberg is talking about God as a perfectly loving being, and so crucial to that concept is that there's a divine bias towards relationship, and so that what that means is that God is always going to be open to any finite person and so the only thing that's going to stop there being relationship is not god because god's always going to be open to relationship um it's going to be the person and so he kind of the analogy he gives um that is that um his kind of light will always be shining and the people will always see it until their eyes are shut and so if then the fact that then there are people who kind of seem to have their eyes open um but then they're the fact that they don't believe and they don't and that is a kind of necessary precondition for relationship with god um that means that's evidence against god or in a schellenberg's um formulation it's deductively saying that it's impossible that god exists that he has a very strong formulation of the argument um that if there are and so and he kind of i think it's important to say how he kind of motivates it and so i think there are a couple of ways he's trying to motivate it so one is to he has it in his kind of most recent work, which is um, one of his kind of bigger books is the book called the, the Wisdom to Doubt. And it's kind of a the middle book of a trilogy of his and that he talks about particularly difficult cases. Um, so one would be lifelong seekers. So kind of people a bit people like Justin, um, like kind of looking at the arguments, looking at um, philosophy, of religion, like being like, well, I still don't believe. Um, there are former believers, again, people like Justin um, and. <laughs> that former believers that they believed for a long time and then they were just like actually no this just isn't real and there are a huge numbers of both of these then there are converts to non-monotheistic religions and so that there are people it's kind of but people who are christians and then turn buddhist or people who are christians uh, then turned um hindu so any those would be another example um and then um, the other example is um, isolated non-theists. So kind of think of your average Amazon tribe that just doesn't believe. So there's a book um, by a kind of linguist who kind of goes to an a, a, a Amazonian tribe. And he talks about how there are the people that couldn't even have a concept of God. That it was just because they only talked about the present. So they couldn't even think about what God would be like. Um, right. Or mate, so it's got snakes in the title. I can't remember what the... Um, exact name of the book was but that it's and he was actually a believer when he kind of went to this tribe and then he actually gave up his um christianity and he was like actually i that this is just too fascinating and so that's one thing so those are kind of the four major examples of things that it just seems really obvious almost that those sure are just non-resistant and that's i think part of the motivation for it so is that do you think that's helpful context oh or? absolutely yeah i mean for, for myself um at least with with in terms of theism simpliciter so a kind of and i guess no theism simpliciter wouldn't be the right way to put it the kind of classical theism view that schellenberg's argument 
uh, is pointed toward, at least with with regard to that, uh, that is something that I actually positively wish were true. Now, I don't think it is true, um, and because of, of reasons like hiddenness and of problems of evil and, and, and disagreement on religious uh, theological matters and things like this, right? Um, but it's something that I wish were true, because I think that if it were true, uh, first of all, I, I think that having a relationship with the creator of the universe sounds like a pretty cool idea. Um, and, uh, you know, having access to, um, uh, to moral facts in a way that I, I don't have now. So a kind of a pure, more direct access to moral facts. Uh, all of these things seem like states of affairs that I would very much want to be the case. And so while, for example, I might be resistant to specific forms of theism, like Christianity, uh, I find, uh, uh, quite objectionable, uh, primarily for moral reasons, I think. Um, but that doesn't say, that doesn't, you know, of course, my rejection of Christianity uh, and a kind of resistance toward its truth, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it's false. Uh, that rejection doesn't entail a rejection for theism proper. And the, 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 the argument is about theism proper, of course. And so, for me, it seems obvious to myself that I'm not resisting uh, in any kind of um, un, unacceptable way such that it would provide a reason for God to be hidden from me. Um, and I think that's the case is also true with, with many other people. So, so yeah, you know, generally in line with what your comments were there. Sure, sure. No, I think that's, I think that's helpful. I think one of the important things about the, that so it's important that because i do object to this and i realize i'm quite actually confident even among as kind of justin pointed this but even among christian theists um it's christian philosophers who are acquainted with the argument it's not very common there's a really big literature on the hiddenness arguments like hundreds and hundreds of papers on this argument i think i can i know pretty much all of the ones that say that there are resistant non-beliefs and there are four or five i think really um that there are no non-resistant non-believers um and so i think if i'm gonna argue this i think so it i wonder if you can i i i'm not, i'm looking at schallenberg's i know that he has a kind of particular thing where he tries to cash out a bit of what he thinks resistance is but do you want to say a bit about what you how you would define resistance generally um yeah i mean i shoot yeah i don't have the uh relevant uh quotes uh in front of me but from what i understand the notion of resistance that he's talking about is just some kind of um some kind of distaste for the concept of god uh or to the relationship to to a relationship with such a god um uh even a slight distaste for the concept of god or to belief in god or to relationship with god um you know primarily i think the most compelling case is throughout human history back toward i mean and, and it's important to note that schellenberg limits his his uh, argument to persons that are non-resistant and and do not believe but also have the capacity for relationship so the cognitive equipment essentially for relationship and you go back in evolutionary timeline and you know how many millions of years are we going to have persons capable of not only uh believing in a concept of god of some kind of concept of god but also uh, entering into relationships, personal, uh, reciprocal relationships with this God, right? Uh, it seems obvious to me, just even given the the mere number of persons that have existed, I mean, most things are going to fall on a bell curve. Mm -hmm. And if we take the, if our sample size is persons that don't believe, uh, the bell curve, you know, even if we want to say that the majority, that the tip of the bell curve is, uh, you know, is where most people have a, a distaste for God, it seems right. quite obvious that there are at least going to be some uh, that are that are innocent of that charge. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I think that's helpful. And that, yeah, so he described in his kind of latest book, The Hidden Argument, he talks about, so there's a more and more discussion of these kind of early non-belief, not early people who right. existed and that they just didn't and the argument is that kind of sociologically we have evidence 
apparently. Um, and the part of this is there's dispute over this, actually. And so, for example, in Douglas Henry's piece, kind of reasonable doubts about reasonable non-belief, he actually disputes that there are these kind of early um, people who didn't believe in God and says that monotheism was ancient. But kind of the, the argument is, is that um, the early people just didn't believe in God and that mm-hmm. the evidence we would suggest that. So Douglas Henry. Okay. Um, and so he has this paper. And there, there is, I, I have seen conflicting stuff on this, that there does, there's certainly... I think Rodney Stark has a book, The Discovery of God, and I think he seems to favor early monotheism. There are a couple of others. And I, I could... think I think there is some form of Egyptian early monotheism prior to uh, the kind of Hebraic tradition. Um, mm. But, it, I mean, it, that's going to be rather isolated, I think. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm like, I'm not familiar, hugely familiar with it overall, sure, but there's sure. certainly a dispute over it. Um, so, yeah, so I should probably then kind of now, a bit about why I actually dispute this premise. And so I think, so one, I think that part of the problem that I have is that resistance seems to me to not be that amazingly defined. Um, so that kind of specifically defined, even by Schellenberg. And so he has a little paragraph in The Hiddenness Argument where he looks at defining resistance. And actually, it's not that much. Um, there isn't that much in the kind of literature. So for example, I talked, I was talking with um, a friend of mine, Corey, last night. So his definition of um hiddenness is that um people who don't whose non-belief um hasn't resulted from anything voluntary and so i think that's that for one there's a lot of dispute over whether you can be responsible for things that are involuntarily done so for example robert adams has this paper called involuntary sins um and he talks about all these different things where we tend to hold people responsible for but seem to be involuntary in some sense and so Mm. whether that's carelessness um, whether that's anger, whether that's kind of being racist in disposition, and that there are lots of things that we tend to hold people right. responsible for, which are involuntary. So I'm there, and then if you then say, okay, what is it to be uh, your non-belief to re- result from that which is voluntary? And so I think this is where I, my argument would be that there's just a lot of different ways that you could be non-resistant, so you could be resistant even. So one would be that you kind of talked about a couple of ways so one would be resistance to particularly god as the kind of classical theistic conception of god um i don't want a relationship with a perfectly loving being um or uh, or and that's in it which kind of, to me seems to be uh, even an epistemic sin of like why would you not want to have a relationship with such right, a being right, right? like right. That, it, so that... it doesn't seem like there would be much else that could compete as the most irrational reaction to something. Mm, no, I agree. And so that's kind of part of the thing. So that might be one which is like particularly rational. There might well be people who said that, and I'm sure there are actually people, and you can think of your Gnuish type on the internet who can be like, oh no, this is the worst thing ever. Like, why would I want that? And think of, <laughs> but there are ways that people object to that. So for example, think of Christopher Hitchens kind of privacy objection that be like, sure. oh no, like God's a North Korean dictator. Like this is the worst thing ever. That might be one way that people object to god as god so that's that's kind of classical theistic we might then say that we might also have resistance to a deray concept of god so this kind of so i was at some kind of classes last year with um brian leftow who's a very well regarded philosopher of religion and has written voluminous stuff and that he did some classes on Mm -hmm. so he talked about we might be resistant not just to god but we might also be resistant to a deray concept of god so suppose you're uh, in the kind of an amazonian tribe but you might be resistant towards the ground of moral authority or the ground of truth so that's a kind of another way so even it that those the suppose that they think of a kind of silly example that suppose that i don't know what who the queen is but then i kind of walk past the street and i'm rude towards this little lady on the street who's kind of really old and i kind of shout at her or whatever um and that's actually the queen that's still me being resistant to the queen even though i don't know it's the queen and that um i'm still resistant towards her so that's one way is being re- resistant towards the deray concept of god and deray is a kind of philosophical term for um stuff but that's one way um another thing might be resistance towards particular commands of god or and so this it kind of think of so the example I gave gave in another instance was that suppose there's like a guy who kind of abuses his wife like would give a really horrible example so he abuses his wife he's a really terrible person but he's like oh yeah no I really want to be with you God forever um, that that you can that 
you could that's also helps in it to illustrate another form but that he he's like a really terrible human being and he's like and abuses his wife can he be counted as resistant i would say that's like properly like resistant because he's resistant to commands of god he's also resistant towards something that god really values he's resistant um and kind of treats god things that god loves with real disrespect and that's something which is okay really, um culpable and I'm, I could give one more example there. Maybe sure. you could be um, resistant towards um, God in a kind of didicto sense. And suppose it is the case that Christian theism is true, um, as I do believe and would offer arguments for that in another context. But that's um, not the point here. But suppose that is the case. Or suppose Allah is real, whatever. Um, if you're resistant to one of those two, if that would also seem to be culpable, suppose it's... And there are loads of reasons that people might be re- resistant to that, whether that's kind of particular entailments that um, Christian theism has, so particular doctrines that people are like, no, that's really horrible, or whether it's um, just saying, oh, this is too complicated, or this is kind of crazy in another sense. So those would be a couple of initial reasons, I think, that, and yeah, that I would say that I think it's really, I think that resistance is at least more complicated than we initially think. So, yeah, that's that's certainly fair. Um, I'm I'm still quite skeptical though that those uh, that that kind of family of resistances could account for all possible persons. So it doesn't seem to me like so. For example, one of the the topics you brought up, one of the kind of subcategories of general resistance, uh, is this idea where you know these these people are are just morally unfortunate people, right? They're, they're you know, the, you brought up the case of abusing the wife. Um, you know, anybody who's a, a particularly heinous individual, uh, that, that makes sense, right? Like, we could understand uh, a notion uh, where someone is resistance um, to a kind of the general moral ideal, right? But, of course, we also want to be sure, as philosophers not to assume that God would create persons that are so easily um, lending themselves uh, to moral weakness, right? Um, it doesn't make sense to me why we should assume from the get-go that God has created persons like the kinds of persons on earth, um, wherein, uh, especially if you go back just even a hundred years, where the kind of cultural milieu was that, uh, you know, women were less than men, and sure, right, uh, they right. needed to be quote quote unquote put in their place in all this, right? Mm, these, right. these patriarchal attitudes that were incredibly mm. damaging, and we're still suffering from. Mm, um, uh, it's not clear to me. I mean, and then of course, if you you know to to add credence to your objection, there, uh, the vast majority of human history that has been capable of relationship has been. Uh, soaked in that kind of morally problematic assumption um so that i think that that's plausible but again i would caution against assuming that god would create those kinds of persons um it seems to me that if god is to create persons he's going to create at least to me it seems it seems uh, uh incredibly problematic that god would create such persons that are so uh morally weak uh and so uh, morally unable to hold their own aggression in uh, and are so cognitively and, and rationally incapable of recognizing the value of a relationship with a perfect person. Um, and so I guess my my initial response to uh, some of your comments there is to go back conceptually prior to that and say, sure. why, do, why do we need to assume, or, or why are we assuming rather, that uh, you know, God has created persons like ours? Mm. Sure. No, I think that that's helpful. And that, I sh- that one of the things with Schellenberg's argument is he's very clear that, or yeah, I would, I mean, I, I actually dispute that it's completely an argument from above, but at least he tries to say that this is an argument from above. And the idea is it's not saying, we're not starting out with the concept of God is like it's previously been and like drawing on some kind of inductive evidence. But instead, we're like moving out and saying, if we were to kind of start from scratch, what would right. we conceptually say about a perfect being? And then kind of says, oh, that God would be loving. And then there's all the rest of that. And so this is kind of quite Schellenbergian in that he would be like, oh, yeah, but why do we have to assume that there would be these kind of people? I think I've got 
So one thing I'd have to say is that I think we need to be careful to distinguish between two kinds of objections and that particularly with, with Schellenberg's argument, it does rely on the fact that there are resistant non-believers and that that and the point is, is that he's saying there are resistant people. That's a distinct objection from saying that, oh, but these uh, that why would God create these kind these kind of people? And that might be um, cash in terms of the problem of evil, which and there are like really good questions to be had there. And then the, sure. or it might be um, cashed in terms of either kind of some sort of no burst world objection. Or I know you kind of are fond of the kind of pe- problem of perfect creatures mm-hmm. um, and that those are and so those are and those are two different objections. And one is, say, is a dispute of the kind of empirical um, observations we have yes. and I think those are uh, and that would be a kind of and that would then kind of refute the argument as it's made against the kind of Schellenberg's argument but there is that I but I think that your the, your argument is it, still an interesting one but I just but if it, that it, is the argument you're making then that kind of concedes the point um, because yeah it, like, it certainly it broadens the discussion to okay yeah. well now we need to discuss these other arguments right right um, right now, I mean, that said, like, yeah, that was, that's one of my initial responses, but uh, sure. I, I still, I wonder how many people would be, would find compelling the various subcategories of, of uh, resistance that you've given as mm-hmm. an explanation of every possible person that has ever existed that was also right. capable of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you you said you're pretty confident in that. I guess I'm, I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I, I mean... Uh, excuse me for saying it. I just I I don't get it. You know, <laughs> that's, I mean, no, that's fine. like those are all those are all plausible uh, characteristic characterizations rather of of resistance. I I will grant you that, but uh, I don't think it carries the weight that you think it does. <laughs> sure. So I think so. There are a couple of points that I should probably make as well. So one question people might have is they is so this is so particularly that you presented the hiddenness argument loads and loads of times. One of the kind of classic things that people are like, oh, but you you haven't read Romans 1. Yeah. Romans 1 <laughs> says that we're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, right. and therefore you're wrong, and like, you just get on with your lives. Um, you're kind of, you're the response you might make to that. I think, so one, so I listened to you in kind of debate on this. One of the other points you said is that this is question begging, and it's also really offensive. So I think it's really... Two, two points to make on that. One is to say that I kind of tried to present this kind of motivate this on an independent ground so that wouldn't be question begging. I think the separate point about offensiveness is really important. And I think the reason it's usually offensive is because it's like, oh, but atheists are all these really immoral people um, and they're really so much more immoral than theists effectively. And it's cashed out in a way mm-hmm. that is just like atheists are much much worse people or kind of anyone who's kind of not a christian for example um or not a theist that i would say not a christian but kind of not a theist is just a much worse person i just want to i think it's important to say that christians the kind of key concept in christianity is grace and it's saying that great the kind of it's like romans 5 8 for example that christ died for us while we were still sinners or like, kind of, who's the kind of, who are the people who are picked throughout the Old and New Testament? So on, like the Apostle Paul. What does he do before he's a Christian? He like goes around killing people. Like, he's not sure. a great person. And like, I think it's one of the interesting things with it is that actually I would, it's not to say that there are kind of resistant non-believers on the one hand, or and then resistant and non-resistant believers. But actually, I would say that everyone is resistant. And then the fact that some people get to believe is just a matter of grace. Um, and so that's, I think, is one of the things I'd say about it. The second thing I might want to say about it is that in terms of moral resistance, I think that's probably actually really, really broad. Um, and I might motivate that in two ways. One would be that people everywhere, like there are lots of really bad things that we all do. So whether that's like, I could go to a coffee shop and I could buy a Cafe Nero or I could give that money to somewhere like the Schistomyosis Control Initiative, which like deworms people for 30 cents. Like, what's that? If a, a kind of moral thing that if I like in usual life did that, 
and that I kind of walked past a starving child and I was like, yeah, or I could like, or a drowning child, like, oh yeah, but my suit's going to get wet. So kind of that's like Peter Singer's uh, Yeah, kind of example. Peter Singer's stuff. So yeah. like, so that's, if I, I, that's kind of absolutely reprehensible for someone to be like, oh, my suit's more important than a drowning child. But mm-hmm. we do this the entire time. We like, right. we buy our buy Xboxes stuff. when there are yeah. starving children on the other side of the world right. that we could help otherwise. Sure. So that's kind of, and that, and that's, if that's, and that's just one type of kind of moral resistance. That's really, really common as a type of moral resistance. The other point I'd make is that the best people we try to think of always have some sort of kind of black mark against their name. So it's, for example, Martin Luther King, who I have like massively admired and like his is a massive inspiration to me a lot of the time. That I'm not just, so I'm kind of, so I'm interested in apologetics, but also a massively interested in kind of social justice issues. He's a massive inspiration to me. Mm. He also like cheated on his wife like quite a lot of times. And that's really terrible. Um, like really horrible thing to do or with it kind of <laughs> take a Gandhi for example who like huge inspiration to lots of people but I mean there's one there's dispute of how much he was really involved with stuff and secondly he massively neglected his son for example who then became an alcoholic and died really young or he his wife um she needed a kind of medicine before she died particular or I can't remember what it was exactly but he he effectively said you can't have this medical treatment and so she died even though it was a really easy medical treatment for her to have the point would be is that people who we think are moral exemplars a lot of the time usually have a little bit of dirt uh, or or quite quite a large piece of dirt with them and And if if Christopher Hitchens is to be believed uh, mm -hmm. the same goes for Mother Teresa right so Mother Teresa another good example that kind of and that there's stuff that there's is to be disputed with her and there is dispute of some stuff, but some of it does seem really bad. So I think it's, for example, that her being in cahoots with Haitian dictators, mm-hmm. which is not great. And that there's also certainly dispute of kind of the effectiveness of her um, ministry or charity. And I think, and those are really good questions to have. So again, so really moral people. So the kind of two arguments would be one is that really moral exemplars seem to have like re- have done horrendous things. And the second is that we often do things that we think are kind of morally callous. Um, so those would be the kind of two arguments for just, and that's on moral resistance alone. Um, that yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I I, I think again, a, a big part of this is going to boil down to, um, you know, why why even those persons that are that are so oriented oriented toward the good that they still massively screw up. I think that there's mm. a, a big part about the design flaw of humans uh, sure. there. Sure. Uh, and so that, of course, opens the discussion to a, a kind of more of a problem of evil, of the kinds mm. of persons that we are, the kinds of moral agents that we are. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, that that's interesting. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to me, so for example... If if resistance, then if 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 you if, as you've said, uh, there's resistance to God both among non-believers and believers. Yep. The question then, okay, is 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 okay. What is the reason why God uh, is failing to reveal Himself to persons in such a way that they have causally sufficient reasons to form a belief about God? And then, of course, at that point. Um, can you know now that they have this concept that can react to it in a you know this concept that isn't just abstract moral things but there's actually a person there uh now that they have this concept they can react to it in in whatever way they 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 so choose um because if if moral gumption isn't the deciding factor of of where god uh, points himself toward, then it doesn't seem that it's relevant in the resistance question. If if moral gumption is found in high degrees and in low degrees on all sides of the theistic spectrum, the question mm. then becomes: Well, then what 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 is to explain uh, the non the non resistant, uh, or rather the non belief at all? I guess we could say. Sure. Okay. And this is so. Pretty, there's a. Um... A lecture slash paper by Michael Ray called "Divine Hiddenness, Divine Silence," and that yes. he talks and that he resp- This is kind of almost his kind of response to it, and that he talks about Romans one is like, and that basically people who would argue, argue that people are kind of self deceived and they're like, oh, I'm I'm not resisting, but you're actually resisting. It's kind of the argument, and he'd be like, mm. well, kind of you have to say there's deception on both sides, but he kind of his objection to it is that 
okay, suppose you explain that, you've still got this further thing to explain, which is why does God not save that is effectively a kind of why does God not save everyone? Um, and that kind of question. So I think there are lots and lots of things to say on that. Um, and I'm not sure I have my kind of thinking fully out here. I should give sure. a kind of disclaimer on that. But um, so. But but again, we're not talking about. I mean, the question, I guess, at least that I'm interested in, isn't okay. why God doesn't save everybody. Mm. Because, for example, you know, if there are persons that, I mean, it's it's at least plausible to me that if you're a, you know, you're a morally perfect person, you wouldn't want to force a relationship on another person. That that seems plausible to me. But that's a separate question of making yourself known to that person and opening yourself up to that person such that like, that person might recognize the good of such a relationship and and uh, attempt an inner transformation as a result, um, therefore right, bettering okay. the state of I affairs. See the point you're making. Okay, that's a distinct point. Sure. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, there's so on the kind of I would it would be interesting to cash out what's meant by force there, particularly that I know that you're a compatibilist, I'm a compatibilist. And so. Sure. I think it's really careful that I'm not sure. Yeah, I haven't read anything in in Schellenberg that kind of carefully distinguishes in the, what it would mean to force necessarily. But yeah. Compati compatibilist with regard to free will is what is what we're sure. talking about here. Yes, so we don't I think guess. necessarily that uh, you know that there's a kind of um, that we we are able to act from nowhere. That we're kind of little gods. Like we think that yeah. freedom is compatible with various antecedent causes and, and mm. things like that. Um, sure. Yeah, right. And so I think so that would be an interesting thing to cash out. Um, kind of further question you question was that why doesn't doesn't God reveal himself to kind of these kind of resistant people so that they then possibly kind of repent in some way and then kind of see that. So I think Pascal talks about kind of seeing your own wretchedness and then moving yeah. on with your wretchedness and then coming back to God. Um so what what to be said about that? Maybe there are probably a number of things. So one idea might be that sometimes if God, if you're like, maybe he, maybe sometimes it would make the situation worse. Um, like, so but some people would kind of see God and they'd really resist God and that would make the situation much worse. Um, so that might be one thing. Um, maybe one point that I might make is, um, hmm, um, in terms of there's, in, there's giving one would be how much has God done that already? So there's certainly maybe there's just a lot of evidence already that I would say there certainly is a lot of evidence already out there for lots of people. Um, so that might be one point. Um, and that particularly, and so that might not apply to all the kind of cases equally well, but certainly for whether that's former believers or perhaps lifelong seekers, it's at least I can. I offer kind of an internal point that I think there is good evidence um, for Christianity to be true and would point people towards that happily and do so regularly. But um, that might be one question is that uh, does that happen? Um, I think that it would it would have to be kind of cashed out in some sort of greater goods. And so this is where I think Raya is right that this doesn't offer a kind of bottom answer to just saying that, okay, just kind of quoting a Romans 1, for example, just doesn't offer a bottom answer to this question. You have to then frame it in the context of an overall story that's plausible um, and offer some sort of greater goods that God, or um, great harms that God is avoiding. So either one of the two. And that what are those that God would be um, allowing for by not re revealing himself to certain people equally clearly? Um, and that maybe it's certain humility in believers actually and being like well actually you're really lucky in what you've been given you need to be great, grateful for what you've been given um, maybe it's god is not wanting to encourage greed in terms of suppose it's kind of signs and miracles for example or religious experiences maybe he's not wanting to encourage other kind of character traits um but i think it would be something i would have to be go away and think more clearly what would be the particular things on each um person that he'd want to encourage but that is i mean that is partly where a lot of the literature is is that god is certain is trying to actualize certain goods so for example um joseph butler talks about god is trying to encourage a process of intellectual inquiry um or um swinburne talks about and M michael murray talk about god is trying to allow certain types of moral freedom 
through this and it's i'm not saying that those are, i think the butler one is one i think is plausible not really sure about the moral freedom one very much at all and yeah. certainly one i mean i think but... i think the butler one I, I, with respect to um the general uh notions of inquiry and encouraging people to find out uh intellectual and moral truths for example uh by putting in some effort into it um I think that that's fair, uh, but I don't think that that is going to carry the weight necessary in this context. So I think that uh, there's, I think that for example, some of the deepest intellectual and moral truths are going to be only accessible within the context of relationship with God. And so I think that, uh, insofar as that's a good thing, that's another reason for God to reveal Himself to persons and to start that that deeper exploratory journey. Um, Moreover, I think that uh, in terms of exploration of these non-resistant non-believers, um, these persons, it doesn't make sense to, to talk about, uh, to encourage exploration when they don't think there's anything to explore, right? Like, for example, like, like myself, it makes sense to say, okay, well, maybe there's a good thing in my exploring uh, and f trying to find out for myself whether or not God exists, right? But for 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 example, those isolated non-theists who who lack a concept of God, that's kind of asking, um, you know, it's kind of like saying, well, it's good that they're exploring, but of course they don't, they're not exploring because they don't even have the concept to explore. So they're going to be exploring separate questions that don't touch on God. I think the isolated non-theists are the most difficult case for the inquiry case, but. That's why that's I think partly so for Travis Dumsday when he talks about the hiddenness argument he says that you don't want to cover it with like one thing you try to have a kind of cumulative case of responses which cover it um, and that that means you have to that also I think sometimes people aren't targeted and just kind of offer a lot of responses which then might cover the same type of non-resistance so that's why I tried a couple of different ones one sure. would be the oral resistance one would be the kind of deray resistance um, there's a kind of similar one in the area which I'd offer in another context. But yeah, but I think at least suppose, I mean, even if it covers some non-resistance, that's a good thing. And that I think it probably covers quite a lot of non-resistance. Um, and sometimes suppose that there's also some, for some people who don't think inquiry is worth pursuing, there might be a kind of culpable reason for believing it's not worth pursuing so that that might be it they culpably just kind of dismiss it where either due to arrogance or perhaps it's due to carelessness or due to something else or i mean i'm sure you i'm you you'll see on the internet um kind of people will be like oh it's kind of these are all stupid or they're kind of all immoral and they're kind of it's obviously not even worth considering as a question whereas you would disagree and be like actually this is really worth considering as a question and that mm. i think it's wrong for x and y and z reason um, but like it's certainly a question worth pursuing um, yeah. and that we should it's like epistemically important that we do so so maybe so that might be part of it is that some people who don't pursue inquiry do so culpably so one of the interesting things about butler's chapter in so he's got this book called the analogy of religion so it's written in 1736 and he's got this chapter on um the why isn't the kind of evidence more obvious and that he just gives a lot of different ways in which we might fail to properly pursue inquiry and those and how those might all be d differently culpable so so whether it's kind of carelessness um before the inquiry or he talks about perhaps we might need to prepare ourselves in certain ways for the inquiry so we maybe we need to understand certain philosophical concepts and prepare ourselves properly for that so yeah so so okay so i think that some of this some of these issues that you bring up um, are, are certainly interesting questions, but I don't know that they cut to the heart of the hiddenness argument. And, and, and by that, I mean, I don't know that they provide, um, I don't know that the account of resistance being um, interpreted in, in this broad way uh, is going to be able to uh, avoid the hiddenness argument. And, and my reason here is for saying that a lot of the time, the things that fall within the broad understanding of resistance that you are discussing are not things that would prevent any um, authority from being open to a relationship with the 
their loved ones. So, for example, um, I think that a lot of time when it comes to, you know, the more, you know, I, I hate God kind of, uh, you know, like brand new atheist person, right, that, that came out of a, a perhaps a damaging religious household or perhaps they, they were convinced by some, like some website somewhere or something, right? And they, or and they, or they read Christopher Hitchens or something, right? I think that I think that a lot of time, what's going on here is conceptual confusion about, um, and not not for lack of trying. It just might be that they don't have the proper tools. They're not they're not trained as careful thinkers and able to parse different concepts, right? So, for example, um, it might be that they're you know they find the whole idea of of, you know, uh, vicarious redemption deplorable, right? And I would agree with them, but that's not a reason to be grossed out by the concept of God, right? That's a, that's a reason to be perhaps grossed out by the, by a particular Christian doctrine, um, articulated in a particular way, right? Um, and so in, for example, like a parent, right? Like, you know, Schellenberg often employs this kind of parent-child analogy to think about what we would expect from a perfectly loving parent. And, and insofar as we expect something from a particularly loving parent, we'd expect even more from, from a, a perfectly loving uh, God who has no limits on power or resources. So, so for example, if we have a parent uh, in, in interested and open to a relationship with a child and the child exhibits some conceptual confusion because that child doesn't have uh, their particular logical training or, or careful uh, experience in, in parsing concepts, that, is, that doesn't seem like any reason whatever to, to, uh, vis- to kind of pull back from relationship with that child, right? So I guess I would just go back to that kind of analogy. I, 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 I recognize that there is some sense in which it makes sense to define resistance broadly in the way that you have, but I don't know that it it interacts with the hiddenness argument in a way that's relevant to the the kind of general thrust of Schellenberg's of Schellenberg's key uh, point, uh, which is that a perfectly loving God with a bias toward relationship is going to be interested in having um, having relationship with with loved ones that are at least willing to, um, if they were thinking properly about it, and if, if they had, you know, these various different abilities to do this, right? Um, and perhaps that's modifying Schellenberg's argument, but uh, I, know, I, think it's, I think it's an interesting thought, because I, I certainly don't think that uh, if, my, if I had a child and, and they were conceptually confused about the obligations of a parent that I would, um, you know... Uh, run away or something like I don't think that that would be a proper loving attitude and I, and I and so too I think would it would be the case for uh, a perfectly loving person who's who's created the very arena in which these created persons work themselves out sure no I think this is a really interesting question actually and I th- and it's kind of a, it's a point because I think resistance isn't properly or defined in the argument i think it's a really interesting question that may is because it actually should, should god actually be open to resistant believers if that because it's if it, it seems like kind of so schellenberg has this response to general responses called accommodationism which is mm-hmm. kind of laid out a bit there which is that god is really resourceful he's in fact infinitely resourceful and so he's gonna do whatever it takes to be always be in relationship and it's and he's and that with a kind of a non-resistant non-believer and that regardless of the other goods possible and so he'll always try and do it and i wonder if that does apply to resistant believers as well and it's in, un- unclear to me at least why not um it wouldn't apply to them um as to then why that doesn't undermine the kind of why they're not hugely kind of thrown into doubt about christianity i think there are lots of things to say one is that maybe there are just other goods that god can allow while people are being resistant um, maybe that allows for different kind of relationships so people can be friends with non-believers and even if they can't be friends with God in the same way that might kind of allow human human relationships which which are important sure. or maybe there are certain manifestations of kind of God's attributes which God wants to 
allow and so whether that's kind of particular displays of mercy um, or other stuff and that's what god wants to manifest and that those that that might be another reason and the kind of second point is that it's a point i've made on accommodation ism elsewhere but basically i think it i just don't think so he talks about it in terms of resourcefulness always towards relationship if god is like really resourceful to the ultimate good whatsoever so maybe he can actually use all of these He's so resourceful, he can use resistant non-believers to accomplish his purposes anyway, and that he could do something really amazing with resistant non-believers, and he could well, do something really amazing with all these other situations. So I feel like you can just play in reverse. And I, uh, I don't think you can make that move. <laughs> so so <laughs> what would be insofar as any as we can identify some some acts, some great good that God uh, want, might be able to use you know, toward which God might be able to use these non-resistant believers um, uh, for, uh, it seems that the that the uh, infinite resourcefulness of God would, would rather point to God being able to reach that without having non-resistant non-believers. I think that's the point that's being made here, is that, right, right. that we don't yeah, need no, to keep I, people I, in the dark. We don't need to keep them in that kind of unfortunate state of affairs where they lack a relationship with the best possible thing. He, God can bring about those great goods without without needing to hide from persons that he created. He's responsible for their existence. Um, and I think that's a big part of it, too. I think that, well, I mean, this is a part of Schellenberg's reasoning, is that uh, by creating persons, God has narrowed the, uh, the kind of realm of plausible behavior of a morally perfect person. Um, that kind of, it limits you. Uh, right. it, it, it narrows down your, you know, your plausible actions as you go. Sure. Um, sure. And I think, so my response would be that, so one of my responses, so I think there's lots of things to say on this. One would be that I just think, so suppose you do something that if the God, I think redeeming really broken things, it might be something really, really beautiful. So that might be one thing. And so that being able to use things which seem kind of really terrible and actually bring out an amazing good, and in fact, something even better. So I redeeming be itself a, would be a, a great good, you're saying? I don't, it, redeeming it for some greater purpose. And that I think I don't, and I don't want to kind of be too committal on what that means. Um, but like, redeeming really broken things can be really beautiful and so whether that's kind of restoring kind of for i mean kind of silly example suppose it's like restoring saint paul's cathedral after world war ii is like really cool and it's like yay it's like restored now and that's <laughs> or like um overcoming like overcoming um kind of problems so you kind of see the i think there's a famous video of a guy who's kind of legs pull is pulled during a kind of hundred meter final I'm in the Olympics and then his kind of dad comes down and he, he kind of does the kind of last hundred meters with him and it's really cool and everyone's like, Oh, it's so inspiring. And so they do, do you think that redeeming is like an intrinsic good then? Like there's actual yeah, value to be So I guess what do you think grounds that? I mean that's like a whole question of value, which I like <laughs> my value is my kind of theory of value is something that I would need a long t I need to think about more really and that maybe it's some kind of some sort of maybe it's but so my a friend of mine is working on a dissertation on one theory of value and it's kind of what god desires um which kind of might seem not seem arbitrary but like ultimately we're all left with something arbitrary um whether it's kind of suffering is good that he was going to say is what god desires is good um maybe it's kind of sort some sort of resemblance of god and that um god is a kind of redeemer type that that's a good thing so maybe that's the theory of value but like that's, I mean, some sort of thing. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that, like, for example, Robert Adams' uh, writings uh, in Finite and Infinite Goods, he's talking right. about these various goods. They are these various finite goods are good because they uh, approximate or, or or loosely resemble some fact about God. Sure, and sure. given that God is is unchanging, and given that God does not grow in moral character. Uh, there's not, there's not seem to be any basis, at least on on his view, at least on my understanding of his view, rather, uh, for the goodness of development of moral character, of of mm. of uh, redeeming, you know, the rebuilding the the church after World War II kind of thing. Sure, that that sure. that's not an intrinsic good. It's only good in a world like ours where we're like, oh, 
it would be good to have this to be a better thing than it is right now, right? Sure, sure. But that I change mean, isn't an intrinsic good. Yeah, I mean, I, so I would say it is an intrinsic good. Um, and to then okay. the question, how do I ground that? Um, which is like a really diff. I mean, it's, there are lots of options. One, maybe we need a broader class of what it means to resemble God um, and that it resembles God in kind of God's loving character. It re- kind of redemption does that in some sort of sense. And I don't know, that might be one way. I, you kind of have to think about it more. So that might be sure. one way it works. One, another way might be that actually maybe a kind of different theory of value is correct. And this might perhaps that, and there is a lot of kind of different theistic um, versions of metaethics, whether it's kind of divine command theory is kind of Robert Adams puts it forward, or it's divine motivation theory is kind of Linda Zagzebski or kind of my friend. Alex Ratty, hey, um, and he's kind of got this theory of kind of based on God's desires. Um, and, may, and what and maybe it's just there's a kind of different one. Um, but I, yeah, I don't. I feel like maybe it's just a kind of token version of some broader type good. So whether that's love or something else, but like I, I'm not sure right now, sure. and am I hugely bothered? I'm not sure it's kind of the worst thing or not. But yeah. Yeah. No. That's that's. That's uh, certainly fair. Um, sure. Well, Josh, thank you so much uh, for joining me for this conversation. Uh, it was again, again, as we already noted, it was it was impromptu. Sure. I just literally woke up and I was like, you know what? We haven't done an episode in a while. Uh, ben can't do it this weekend, so right. let me call up my buddy Josh and we'll sure, sure. And I'll <laughs> I'll harangue him about some of his views. So yeah, it's <laughs> okay. great. No, thanks for inviting me up. It's great fun. Absolutely. All right, man. Take care. If you appreciate the content and tone of what Real Atheology has to offer, please consider writing a review of the show on iTunes or contributing a modest amount per episode to the Real Atheology Patreon. Real Atheology wants to thank the following patrons. Matt Smith, Matt Yellen, Richard Kane, Jeremy Zierce, Brandon McCleary, John Danaher, of philosophicaldisquisitions.blogspot.com, Jason Macloetta, Evan Wirtz, St. Nimbus, Bob April, and Alexander Stone. Thank you for listening.